0: Let's now join together to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another differing kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts? And yet I show you a more excellent way. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ten days after uh, Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent his spirit uh, to carry on his work of building the church. And we commemorate that uh, redemptive historical event uh, on what is often referred to as Pentecost Sunday, we give a special attention to this gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. The ascended Christ received the Spirit as a reward, according to God's promise for his faithful uh, work as our mediator. He received the Spirit which he poured out on the church in fulfillment of the new covenant promise. And uh, in God's providence, our commemoration of this event also coincides with the uh, the ordination of office bearers, which is rather fitting because uh particularly in Ephesians chapter 4, the ascension of Christ is closely joined with the gifts of the Spirit and particularly gifts of office. He ascended on high and he gave gifts to men. He gave some prophets, some apostles, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the work of the ministry. This morning we want to answer the question, how can we maintain or perhaps regain the joy, do I dare say the thrill, the pleasure of being members of the body of Christ? How do we keep up optimism and uh, motivation uh, for service in the church? How do we keep congregational life and worship uh, from being more than a duty, more than uh, a dull routine? Well, very simply, the answer to that question is to see the church by faith as taught in our text this morning. And from the very outset of this chapter and throughout, we are taught that the church is no mere human organization. It is an organization, okay? Uh, we, we do believe in organized religion. Uh, the church has a structure to it. It has offices that are appointed by Christ. It has a certain kind of order. Uh, there, there are details of its government and of its life and its worship together that are spelled out that we seek to follow. That involves organization. But the church is also an organism in that it is a living body, a spiritual body, the body of Christ. Even that language of body, and uh, in, a, in, a, in a way we must say that it's not simply a comparison or metaphor, but it's really true in a very exalted and significant sense, as we're taught by God's word. The body, that that in itself involves this imagery of unity and of, of cooperation and of activity. And it's a spiritual body driven uh, by spiritual life. It's a body in which God is at work. And this is how we are to view ourselves by faith. Uh, the church in Corinth was in danger of losing that, that understanding, that perspective. And the result of that was pride and uh, rivalry and uh, selfishness. And uh, ironically, these things surfaced over this whole matter of the exercise of gifts. And that's ironic because they are gifts. And by definition, that means they're from God. And therefore, they ought not to minister to pride, but to gratitude. They are gifts. And they're given for the common good. They're not given to exalt certain individuals over others. They're given so that selfishness might be removed from the picture and service might take its place. And they're given in great variety. And that must be a cause for mutual appreciation and thanksgiving. And so to see the church as she truly is, we must see God at work, and we must see God at work through members of the body. We need to understand that God has richly gifted his church by his spirit. That's our theme for this morning. And we begin by considering the wonderful variety of her gifts. There is a, a rich diversity. There are differences. There is a distribution of gifts. We, we hear that in verse four through six. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. So then there's a variety. There's a variety of abilities. There are, there's a variety of roles. There is a variety of functions of the members. And uh, even the different words that are used here uh, point that out. They, they point us to the rich endowment of the Holy Spirit upon the church. Gifts, that's the word used in verse 4. There are diversities of gifts. Now this is a, a subject, spiritual gifts, over which many, many books have been written. And if you read a lot of those books, you will just get really, really confused. Uh, because they all define, they all number and describe these gifts in various ways. And you might, uh, feel the pressure to somehow discover your particular spiritual gift. And you might feel that that is really necessary if you're to understand your place in the church. Well, yes, it is very valuable to know Uh, gifts that God has given to you that they might grow and develop. But the idea that there is a cut and dried list, list of gifts. And if you can only discover yours, then you're going to be on the right track. And if not, no, you are failing to understand something very important in scripture. That can be very distressing and it can be very distracting because the Bible simply doesn't, uh, present a neat and tidy cut and dried list of all those spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit Gifts to the church. Some of those gifts are mentioned here in 1 Corinthians 12. Some of them are repeated elsewhere. Some are added. Some are subtracted. There's a great variety in the way they are presented, even to suggest that it's not the intention of the Holy Spirit to give an exhaustive list of the ways in which the body serves one another in love according to God-given abilities. We have some gifts, gifts described here in verses 8 through 10. For To one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the, sa- the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And a number of these gifts are revelatory gifts that had a special purpose and function in the days of the apostles of the early church when the church was being established before we had the complete scriptures. And so they are extraordinary gifts. They are temporary gifts, and we'll look at that later on. But here we have a number of gifts. Some of them are word gifts. Some are deed gifts that have other uh, effects in the life and health of the body. But here's a list, and it's not an exhaustive list, but it's kind of illustrative. Some gifts, as I said, clearly belong to the ministry of the church today, at least in terms of word gifts, gifts that are closely associated with office, gifts of teaching, for example, which continue in the church today. And that leads us to what we might see as kind of a second category of gifts, and that are uh, those are gifts which the Holy Spirit gives and develops, you might say, in a more ordinary way, in a more natural way. Not as if they're natural gifts, but often the Holy Spirit, in a sense, builds on natural gifts. Gifts that are, uh, you might say, natural abilities that are then sanctified by the Holy Spirit for spiritual use. Or are elevated, increased, empowered. And so we understand such gifts as gifts of, of teaching and spiritual discernment and wisdom and the ability to govern and to rule and to shepherd. So the word gifts is used. But then we go on in verse 5, we discover that uh, there is the use of this word ministries. There are differences of ministries. And and ministry is, is a word that really refers to service. There are different kinds of services, you might say. Uh, the form for the ordination of officers at points uses the term ministry and service as interchangeable. You know, sometimes we think of the ministry, right? And we think of the ministry of the word and sacraments as if that terminology only refers to preachers of the gospel. But our form refers to this ministry referring to deacons and the service that they perform in the church. So ministry is a matter of serving, carried out uh, in a variety of ways by uh, the members of the Church of Jesus Christ. In Romans 12, another passage that describes the, the gifts, it uses gifts and ministry almost in interchangeable ways without really giving precise definitions it says having gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us let us use them if prophecy if uh or ministry let us use it to our in our ministering he who teaches in teaching he who exhorts in exhortation he who gives with liberality he who shows mercy with cheerfulness so these are different services different ministries by which the grace of the Holy Spirit operates among members of the body for its mutual growth and increase. And actually the value of this word ministry is that it uh, it, it shows the use of gifts. This word makes clear uh, that it includes whatever really serves the edification of the church. And you see, what that does is that it teaches us to appreciate a great variety of abilities that we might not necessarily associate with spiritual gifts. You know that every year, uh, a list of appointments is published, and it's a list of various services that are filled by members of the congregation. I'll just read, I'll read through them. Especially for newer members, it gives you an idea of the kinds of things that are carried out, and that must be carried out within the body of Christ for it to function effectively. An abuse policy administrator. An administration committee, and of course that involves a number of people, at least seven on this list. A bulletin editor and a substitute or a helper. Church directory editor. Church instruction teachers, I count 15 listed here. A missions and evangelism committee, I believe there are nine members currently. A fellowship committee, probably five. head organist, and then organist, uh, six organists or so, pianist, head usher, HVAC control system, HVAC system maintenance, kids' disciples clubs, ladies' study group, librarian, nursery coordinator, Sunday school coordinator, Sunday school teachers, there's seven people on this list, recording ministry coordinator, sound coordinator, treasurer, young adults leader, young people's counselors, webmaster, that's quite a few people. And that doesn't include others like ushers, uh, those that serve uh, in the nursery, those who are involved in opening the church in the morning, uh, those who participate in things like spring cleanup or Lord's Supper preparation or refreshment or washing dishes. You see, brothers and sisters, how many things are carried out and really need to be carried out for the church to function together as a body i mentioned the organists we have an organist leader but our organist and our pianist also provide a weekly service that we can easily just take for granted in terms of the amount of preparation and care that's given to this service it teaches us to appreciate the great variety of abilities and it shows us also how important willing hearts and willing hands are and how such actions not only show god given abilities, but they bring them out and uh, they develop them. And that's how God works. In fact, that's that's typically how men are recognized as having gifts for leadership and gifts for service in terms of office because they're involved in the life and the fellowship and the activities of the church beforehand. And they become known in the church as those who are involved in that body life. And so they're known already in that way. Well, then there's the third word, activities. And there are diversities of activities or operations or workings. Again, you might see, well, that's a very general term, isn't it? Yes, indeed. So whatever work of faith or works of faith, whatever labors of love are done, God is working through individuals in a unique way, and individual members are thus becoming instruments of God for the edification of the church, a wonderful variety of gifts, of services, of activities in the church from the ascended Lord and the work of the Spirit in his body. Then secondly, we want to look at the triune giver of her gifts. When you pay attention to the Bible, the New Testament uh, particularly, you'll find how the Apostle Paul and other inspired writers think and they write with the awareness of the triune God. And they incorporate that reality most naturally, most instructively in their letters, in their writings. In other other words, it's not as if we find in the Bible any kind of indication that, okay, folks, now we are going to give you a theological definition of the Trinity so you can all get it straight. No, the Trinity is clearly taught in Scripture and, uh, yes, it's taught concisely in certain places in the baptismal, uh, language and in benedictions, but more pervasively it's found throughout scripture. And that's what we have in this passage. We're taught that gifts are from the Holy Spirit. They're called spiritual gifts in that connection. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. In verse 11 it says, But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. That's a very important thought, because that immediately follows a description of these spiritual gifts, many of which are extraordinary or temporary. Many of these gifts are not current in the church. Why not? Why don't we find prophecies in the church that really resemble prophecy as it's defined in Scripture? Why do we never hear of someone who was lame from the womb, suddenly healed and walking and leaping and praising God? Why do we not hear different languages spoken and others being able to interpret those languages in the church? Why do not such gifts exist today in the church well because they don't <laughs> i mean in a way that's just a simple historical argument it's the fact of their cessation that demonstrates that they no longer give. and why is that because the holy spirit was pleased to bestow these gifts at a certain time and for a certain purpose And that didn't depend on people believing in them. That didn't depend on people being open to them and practicing. Oh, here's how you learn how to speak in tongues. Just kind of follow me. I'll coach you a little bit. No, those 120 in that room on Pentecost weren't weren't, uh, waiting to speak in tongues. They weren't open to it. They didn't believe it in the sense of expecting that when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they would talk different languages. It happened not by their will but by the will of the Holy Spirit. And the fact that those extraordinary gifts no longer continue in the church today is the most irrefutable proof that they were temporary and that they ceased. Otherwise, what we have, brothers and sisters, is we have a congregation of believers dwelt by the Holy Spirit, enjoying the most important work of the Spirit, revealing Christ to us. And that has happened for generations, for some of us, generations, generations, and in all that time and throughout that history, and yet today, none of us speaks in tongues. Is that some deficiency? Well, there are those who would like to tell us so. And we say, oh, no, no. No, we don't believe that for a moment. Those are extraordinary gifts. the Holy Spirit wanted us to speak in tongues, we'd be doing it, believe me. His will would determine it. Not our will. Not our desire for something extra. Not something that the world considers or much the professing... Church considers really, really important, really, really impressive, really, really spiritual. well, they were temporary. The Holy Spirit distributed them according to his will at that time. The gifts are from the Lord. there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. that's a reference to Jesus Christ. No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It's the ascended head of the church who received the Spirit and poured out that which you now see and hear. He gave offices, Christ did, through his Spirit, for the work of the Word ministry, that the saints might be equipped to serve one another also. And then thirdly, these gifts are from from God. and There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God. And in connection with the previous verses where the Spirit and the and the, the the Lord, are distinguished, we might well think indeed of the Father here. The gifts of the Spirit, the ministry of the Lord, are works of God in each and every individual case. And that has tremendous implications for us as a body. What's the most encouraging thing about being office bearers? It's the belief that God, despite your weaknesses and deficiencies, can and does use you. He does use you for his his purposes. He equips you for that. And we need to remember that. Remember that in your service. Realize that as you serve in faith, God directs you. God uses you in ways that are often beyond your expectation or your your understanding. And that really is foundational to a sense of your your calling. You know your deficiencies. You know your weaknesses. Every true servant of God is very much aware of that. And you acknowledge that. And you pray for help. And then do your job and trust that God will bless it. And you may not see that fruit immediately, but you trust in God to bless it. That he works through weak instruments. So you don't obsess about yourself in a way that's not helpful. Yeah, you seek to grow. You seek to be faithful. You pray. We're not practical atheists. We don't believe that, well, yeah, God enables us to carry on our work so we can do it. We can do this. No. We remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. And so we pray before we go on a home visit or before we uh, make that diagonal, uh visit. And we ask God to use us. And then sometimes we're presently surprised. And we find out from members that, you know, I was really distressed and that phone call, that really helped me. Those few comments really cheered me up. I was, I was wondering how I was going to make ends meet. And then the deacons called me and I, I recognized that God answered my prayer to you. Isn't that how uh, the Bible teaches us to do service? I was sick, the Lord Jesus said, and you visited me. It's a service to him. And that's also applied to the activity of members. We heard that also in the prayer. That all the members in their care for one another are ministering to the Lord Jesus Christ as they minister to members of his body. And that means we are to be willing instruments of God's working. Not by compulsion, Peter says to elders, but willingly. And we're to rely upon him. And God's working, again, as I said, is not limited to office bearers. We read in verse 7, The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And then the rest of the chapter kind of just elaborates that. Describes what that's like. Every member of the body has an important role for the well-being of the whole. That's, That's spelled out explicitly, isn't it, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16. It's from Christ that the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And that leads us then finally to look at the common purpose of her gifts. I've already read it there in verse 7 where it says, uh, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all, the benefit of all. And this is explained in this chapter through the image of one body. If you count, you'll find that this phrase, one body, one body, one body, One body it's repeated four times, and there are other ways in which the same idea is emphasized in this chapter. So we can't miss it. And each member is necessary for the completeness, for the harmony, for the the beauty of the body. So then the question is, how is that actually shown in the church? Well, it is shown when each member is recognized as having an important place, and when each member seeks to fill that place for the good of others, for the good of the body. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Each member must be recognized as having an important place, and each member has the calling to seek to fill that place. And practically speaking, we might say that there are two things that we may not or we must not think or say. Number one, you have no need of me. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If someone says, Well, because I don't have this position, I I can't do that, I'm insignificant, I'm really uh not an important member of the body, the body doesn't need me. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? No. Those feelings, that's a that's a mistaken perception. It's not it doesn't change the reality. Part of the body. God says each part is necessary and important. So we need to start with that. And secondly, we must not say, I have no need of you. We may not think that way. Verse 21 says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Translate that basically into these words. You must not say, I don't need God's work in my life through you. Or you don't need God's work in my life to you. And both of those are wrong. But that can quickly affect us. I'm not important. If I'm gone, I'm not missed. Actually, I think this is a very important consideration for participation in the second service. For some of you who do not know, we have two worship services every Sunday, and they're different. It's not a repetition of the same service. It's a different worship service. And God calls uh, all the members who are able to come uh, to worship. And uh, what happens if uh if individuals say, well, you know, I won't be missed. Oh, really? What if 10 families say that? If it's legitimate for one, is it okay for 10 families to say that? Is it okay for 20? It's okay for 10. It should be okay for 20, right? It's no big deal. 30? Maybe 40% of the congregation? Maybe 60% of this congregation? 80%? Oh, yeah, it's happened. And what's the result of that is eventually the second service is just eliminated because there's just a handful of people. It communicates the message that, oh, they must be really have needy, needy or something, or super spiritual, or whatever the case. But a result of that is that half of the most important activity that the Church of Jesus Christ engages in, that is worship. The most important means of grace by which we're built up together through word and sacraments is cut in half. And I trust that if you evaluate that, it's not a good thing, is it? And that involves the idea that if we're able, we are we are missed if we don't come. And we miss things if we don't come. And we're not to evaluate that and measure that by worldly wisdom, by our feelings, but to evaluate it in the light of God's holy word and grow in that kind of commitment to what is truly the central activity of the church in terms of our relationship to God, and that is that we worship him. We don't want to practically denial this article of faith concerning, I believe, in the communion of the saints. We want to practice it, even as our catechism confesses, secondly, that each member should consider it a duty to use these gifts readily and joyfully for the service and enrichment of other members. If we have these gifts, use them. That's the language of Romans 12, verse 6. And so no one may dismiss themselves and say, I have no special gifts or abilities. And actually, the heart of the matter is not special abilities. It's not what it's about. It's not about special gifts. And again, this passage makes it clear. It's especially about mutual care, mutual sympathy. The members should have the same care for one another, verse 25. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Oh, that sounds so idealistic. Yeah, that's right. God's word is idealistic. It holds us to a high and holy standard that we never perfectly achieved in this life. It's a pathway, right? And we never attain the goal, but we pursue that pathway because we believe that indeed it's a it's a good pathway. It's God's will. So we want to grow in that. But ultimately, it's not a matter of special gifts or special abilities. It's about love, actually, right? Remember how the chapter concludes, earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a better way. First Corinthians 13, practice of love. Because it's through love that God brings out the gifts that he gives, that God activates them. And through love, we see God at work. No one has seen God at any time. The Bible doesn't set us on a quest for some... Uh, wild vision, some experience, some quest for something extra. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been made perfect in us. The reality of God, is not something that we seek through visions or some ecstatic experience. It's the reality of God that we believe through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In whom God dwells, by whom God dwells in us. And in that way, that love is perfected. It comes to its its purpose and goal of maturity in Christ. Yes, the church is God's work. We didn't give attention to it, but this passage begins that way. And it starts uh, with reference to spiritual gifts. It's now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren. I do not want you to be ignorant. But before he goes into a an elaborate or a a description of the spiritual gifts and their use in the church, he says this, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. He reminds them of their native depravity. He reminds them of their desolate condition as idolatrous people apart from the grace of God. And then he says, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the foundation of this teaching with respect to gifts is the miraculous grace of God that has entered our lives and brought us together to that fundamental Christian confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, and he is our Lord. He's Lord of the church of which we are a part. And from him, then, by his spirit, come these wonderful gifts. So it brings us right back to seeing the church as God's work. And as a work of amazing grace that indeed should motivate us and equip us to uh, look to God, to enable us to serve one another Then, in love. Amen.